totally football show. Today, Real in Bliss after Chris takes the, well, Mickey, breaking records, putting on the Turin brakes with his bicycle while Pep flops in clop stop in front of Cobb. We discuss the pre-game scenes at Anfield. Haven't seen a crowd that angry at a coach arriving since Pardew's last appointment and round up the rest of the Champions League. Then it's the weekend in store. Derbies and so much more. Plus your questions in this Totally Football show. Fight with Wilkins. Absolutely magnificent from Ray Wilkins. Ten minutes to half time. And a goal with Ray Wilkins will never have bettered in an illustrious career. And Milan's dominance is complete. What a fantastic goal. I think it's Massaro that gives it to Papin. And he shows tremendous strength for a little fella. Our own Des Walker's putting him under an immense amount of pressure. There's the ball from Massaro. I thought Des was going to win it there, but Papin shows tremendous strength. Cuts on Des's left side, and again it's this early shot. He strikes it early. It cannons in off the near post. A really tremendous goal. Look at the strength of the little fella. Because he's only a slight chap. That's a great goal. Tremendous. Yeah, the very sweet sound there of Ray Wilkins. For decades of... A wonderfully educated and graceful midfielder and then one of the most enjoyable commentators I think there's ever been. And also one of the loveliest fellows in the business and passed away, of course, this Wednesday at the terribly early age of 61. Uh, with me today in this Totally Football show, we have Pat Nevin. Hello, Pat. Good morning. How are you good, good morning to you. Julian Laurent's also here. Hello, James. As is James Horncastle. Hello. And, I mean, a word or two on, on Ray to begin with because... He was so, he was the least assuming guy I'd ever met. You, you'd forget talking to him the way he acted that he'd been around the block, done, been there, done that, the whole shebang, and done it everywhere, you know, and done it to an incredibly high standard. Um, I keep on trying to talk about Ray to everyone I meet just now because we were all chatting about it down at Chelsea, and everyone just keeps on saying the same word, gentleman, mm. and then you don't say that about many footballers, do you? It's not the immediate description. Um, because he wants to talk about you, and when you talk, he talks about you and what you're doing, and he seems so incredibly interested in you, and that's what people who are gentlemen do, and it's not fake, it's not put on, that's just because he was a lovely, lovely man. So yeah, international, world class footballer, but world class bloke as well. I mean, his football career is amazing, taking in well briefly PSG, but a wonderful period at, at Milan, who paid a, a kind of touching tribute to him ahead of the derby and gave him a standing ovation on, on Wednesday evening. But at a time as well when the notion of an English midfielder going out to, to Serie A mid-80s and, and basically excelling was, was, was quite far-fetched. Well, and yeah, we told this story on Golazzo that he basically gave Paolo Maldini his break. Remember when uh, Paolo Maldini made his debut against Udinese, um, a player gets injured, Paolo didn't expect to, to come on doesn't have the right boots, the pitch is hard, frozen. And Ray Wilkins basically says, I've got the boots with the right studs, why don't you use mine? And history was made. All right. Um, he made other contributions apart from lending his boots. No, of course, but I think uh, it's very nice to see how affected those Milan players who you know met, played with Ray, wanted to remember him. And you mentioned the tribute last night at mm. the Milan derby, Franco Baresi going under the Kudvasud with a bunch of flowers holding up his shirt with his name and number on the back and that big banner from from the ultras saying Chow Ray so you know left a real mark there 
huge career, and then his his subsequent career as a commentator as made him as as beloved. I think he was he was if anything as good, if not better, as a commentator. He was fantastic. I think so many people are going to. I mean, there was the Galazzo documentary, and Ray was in that, and it really brought it back. What a great commentary team him and and Brackers were. But uh, I mean, Ray Wilkins, congratulations on a on a life well lived. On with this totally football show and Champions League. So, Julien, Roma went to Barcelona and scored three goals. Uh, what else happened? Uh, Bayern beat Sevilla and ooh, Real did Juventus. We'll talk more about that that game, that glorious goal, and a glittering performance indeed, uh, a little bit later on because Wednesday night then there was a massive match at Anfield. Liverpool once again beating Man City, but emphatically this time 3-0. How? Why? <laughs> what, what did what did City do so wrong? Julian? Uh, the lineup to start with. I okay. think it happens that even Pep Guardiola can get things wrong. I don't think... That... What, what did he do then? Because Stuart Bird's asking this. Does he overthink these big knockout games, Pep? Does he try too hard to surprise and out-tactic the opposition manager? Yeah, maybe. I think Emre Laporte at left-back was a very, very weird choice from him. And we've said before on the show that Salah usually doesn't do as well against the right-footed left-back. And that's been proven this season, for example. And yet you put a centre-back at left-back who, OK, played there last weekend and did quite well against Everton. But Emmerich Laporte, one, is never a left-back. And two, can surely, surely not cope with the talent of Mo Salah and the form that Mo Salah is in right now. So that was the first choice that if you look at the lineup and now before kickoff, you think, really? Did he really go for that? And it turned out that Laporte was just not good enough um, overall, not even just defensively, but going forward as well for City. And then Gundogan in a right midfield of a 4-2-3-1 with Kevin De Bruyne next to Fernandinho in the centre, for me again, was, was the wrong choice. I mean, Gundogan, I think, hardly touched the ball in that first half. I think he looked lost. I think De Bruyne probably enjoyed a more central role because that means even touching the ball more than, than where he usually plays. Mm. But I thought that messed up the, 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 the sort of momentum tactically that City have had all season. Right. As much as City maybe got things wrong, how much did Klopp get right, Pat? That's it. They're getting it wrong. The simplicity of asking a centre-back to go out to a full-back is just... Full-backs can play centre-back. Centre-backs can't play full-back. That's the usual rule. So don't do it. Um, he's been doing it all season. He's been trying to mix and match there because I was going to try it. I've got Julian here, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Benjamin Mondi. <laughs> that's as close as I'm going to get. Right. So when he's back, that's going to be fine. I know he's left-footed, but he's good. Right. So that's going to be OK. But it's the other thing, and it's... It's the use, and there's different sports use it, but it's the blitz that they use, Liverpool. So they do that high blitz, and he calls it, you know, whatever he calls it. Gagging pressing. Gagging pressing, heavy metal foot. Well, you name it. Basically, you cannot do that for 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. But what you do is you do this kind of blitz thing really early on and hope to get a goal. And they got three, <laughs> which I think they were shocked at as well. And of course, when you've got that, that gives you a list to keep on going that little bit longer. Now, they've done it to other teams and not got three goals out of it they've got one or two or whatever mm. I think it's just worked perfectly on the day for them and they could maybe do it ten more times against Man City and it might not work but in this occasion with the weaknesses in the defence it worked um, the only team 
I think in England it could probably do it. But then again, who knows? Because nobody else ever tries. Because right. they all just sat back. Was was the second half then defending that league? Was that a defensive masterclass? Was that uh, evidence of their newfound solidity, or was it just City wasting their chances or not even but making chances? Tiredness number one. Mm. You can't do that for ninety minutes. Nobody but, can do it. Sure, but did you think that was was that about them actually being? defensively solid in a way that people didn't think they were or City just not not clicking. Klopp afterwards in the press conference said that he wasn't particularly pleased with the second half which is <laughs> quite high standard really. Um, he wanted his team to play a little bit more um, and he felt that in the second half they didn't do that enough. Look, I think with City they were very one-dimensional really um, because when you didn't have a natural wide player on the right... Um, just everything was going out to Leroy Sane. Um, that was the, you know, you look at the City team all season, you think they're very multifaceted, they vary the way they attack, it makes them very hard to predict what they're going to do. Last night they were very predictable. That should take a nothing away, I think, from how well Liverpool at the back did, particularly those players, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, 19-year-old, local boy, who was up against Sane, I don't think Sane caused him too many problems really Dejan Lovren those two players who were so heavily criticised after that Manchester United game didn't really put much of it didn't really put a foot wrong mm. and um, they didn't even concede a single shot on target against Man City extraordinary no? Uh, and it's worth noting says GSS that Liverpool did that to Man City with an all English midfield Proof that English players are capable of the right coaching. Do you think it will affect Southgate's tactics at the W at the WC? Sorry, the the World Cup. <laughs> I mean, I think he means World Cup, uh, but it kind of already has. No, in in the sense that Southgate's already adopted this model. Of yeah, it. I mean, we saw in the in the friendlies Oxlade Chamberlain uh, playing in midfield, and again, what in these these big games he's really come up with with goals, yeah, you know, taking shots from distance really, and. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you'd, tr- you'd trust that right foot given given how well he's been doing with yeah. it. But um... the, the the moment Man City didn't make the best of starts, and a lot of that was due to the aggressivity of Liverpool's opening phase of the match. Did the reception they got did that have any bearing on it? The fact that they then swapped in so they didn't have to face the cop. First of all, I always would always swap ends every single time. You would. If you're, a, if you're away from home, make sure you get the opposition to do what they don't like doing, which is swap ends. So always do that. No, number one, doesn't there is no exception to that rule. So and a lot of teams do that as well. Mm. Okay. It's, it's taken years yeah. for them to do that, but they're now figuring out that's what you do because you get that you lose that comfort as the home team. So number one, shouldn't affect you though. It may have it may have affected some of the players, and it only needs to affect two or three, um, but it shouldn't. You should be able to get your head right after that. Um, you know, the modern players aren't seen that often. Maybe it's something that happened more often when I was playing. But if you've ever played in Turkey, if you've—I mean, if you've played yeah. in places like the parts of Italy where certain things happen as well, you should have come across that a little bit. And but they would have been slightly spooked, you know. Right. And certainly it was a smash, but it shouldn't affect your game. And I, I'll be honest with you—I don't think it did. I okay. don't think that's excuse. City arguably should have taken a, at least the opportunity for an away goal with a, a, a penalty from that second half. But as it stands, 3-0. Can you think of... Uh, I'm trying to rack in my brains for any examples of a, a club that's been up <laughs> by three... I'm here, I knew that was going to come up. I've, I've, never, I've never done this show and you have not mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> but Liverpool as well, effectively they're 3-0 up at half-time of a... halfway through a, a, a Champions League knockout clash. 
and there's clearly no precedence of that no. swinging in um, the opposite direction. What do you think? Can City? It, yeah, of course they can do. Can it. they? Yeah, of course they can. It's going to be. A, it would be a tough game for Liverpool, uh, and depending on Mo Salah's fitness, that, without Henderson as well. Yeah, suspended. Henderson is suspended. Although on the counter, Emre Chan might be back by then, maybe. So all in all, but Salah is really the key one mm. because you're going to play on the. On the counter, that would right. be the game plan. You can't. I don't think you can press away a city like you did at home on Wednesday night, for example. Or so his early exit from the games, Mo Salah's early exit, was precautionary, or do you think, think there's so. an issue there? You would think so, but he did. I mean, he, if he came off, it's because he couldn't continue. Otherwise, right. you know, he would have stayed on. So let's hope for Liverpool and you know, and fans and club that it's not too serious. To be fair, earlier in the season, I was at, I was in Seville for the right. 3 0 down. Yeah. So it's a, it's a Liverpool three 0 up at half time and they still managed to blow it. So no they absolutely this is not over. Also last time they went to the Etihad mm-hmm. they lost five. five nine. Nine. Yeah. 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 But Van Dyke was not there and I think and Van Dyke Yeah and they went up to ten. But if Van Dyke had been there from the beginning of the season they wouldn't be eighteen points behind in the league for example and he's really, really strengthened that whole defence. Okay. So you say it is over, probably yeah, I don't think City will come up, but I think it would be a tough game for Liverpool, but I think they will go through. Pat, you see a twist in this one? Um, I think it'll be quite close in the end. Maybe the biggest problem is that penalty they didn't get, because right. as many people have mentioned, if Liverpool score a goal, which they're quite capable of scoring, Man City need five, mm. and that's a lot. James? They scored five at the end of last time. <laughs> it depends on the episodes. But yeah, I mean, statistically, it's improbable that uh, they can turn this around. All right. Well, before the second legs next week, of course, both teams are facing tough cross-town matchups with their neighbours and rivals. We'll talk about those after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power, the home of the Money Back Special. Keep listening to the end of the podcast to find out more. More Champions League talk very shortly. But City taking on United in Manchester, while on Merseyside it's Liverpool-Everton to kick the weekend off Saturday lunchtime. City United, if City win this game, they also win the title, and that's the earliest it's ever been won in the Premier League. Ooh. Other records they can get this season? Do you want to know these? You probably Go know. for it, Jimbo. Most points, most wins, most goals, most away goals, most home goals... Basically, just goals of any kind. But big best goal difference, biggest winning margin. Crazy, no? Indeed. Yeah. Wow. Does Pep Guardiola now go? Well, we've blown the Champions League. I've been through this before. I'm going to focus now on destroying Man United at the weekend. Or does he? Does he maintain his forces? Keep his powder dry for next weekend's second leg in the Champions League. What does he do, Pat Nevin? Um, if it was me, yeah. um, I would be old school and say. Have this game, Manchester United. Enjoy it. Enjoy your little win. Enjoy the little celebration because it is unimportant to us in the main. In the end, he needs to get ready for this Champions League game. The league has been won. Oh, it so you're saying say to Man United, yeah, you enjoy it, the win. Have it. Yeah, okay. almost mm. just send out basically a B team. Um, don't take any chances with anyone. The only players you play, I would play in that one, are players that you think need 90 minutes worth of fitness. Uh, because if they're maybe lacking game time, it's that extreme. Do not blow it because at the end of the season, at the end of your career, uh-huh. you'll look back and you'll think, Why did I do that for that? that? Okay, it's a Derby game, it may feel big in the press and the build up, but it means nothing in the wider scheme of things. And I mean, utterly nothing in the wider scheme of things. And you talk about records, sadly, 
they mean nothing when you lose the Champions League over trying to chase a record. So I do seem very old school about it. Having said that, it's, I feel myself generally a purist, but I'm not that much of a purist. thing is, Pep is. And he actually might just go for it and take chances. But if you walk out that game and suddenly at the end of it, De Bruyne is limping and David Silva looks a bit tired, well, that's a nightmare. Don't do it. Yeah. Jules, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And surely, surely this is going to do a really mixed team. They might still win anyway, even with not their strongest 11. So, yeah. And then focus yeah, on, on next week. Okay, fair enough. Well, let's not bother discussing that match too much. No, no, no. I mean, it's, a, it's <laughs> no, still no, a big really. game. It's still, because if they do win it yeah. and they win the league on at the weekend, it's, it's still incredible to win it early April. It, you know, in a league like, like this. I mean, mm. it's, well. It's purely for fans, though. For players, okay, you win it against Manchester United. So what? You win it, that's more, the thing. It's more to win it so early than against yeah. you. I don't, I don't really care who they won it again. Uh, would they win against? Really not. So Vincent Company, when he said it was the opportunity of a lifetime to win it against United. It's lovely to play at the fans, isn't it? <laughs> it's, that's all it is. Went, well, it's partially that. But uh, to be fair, do you think he'll be devastated if they don't win that game, but win the league the week afterwards? I think he'll cope. Uh, I, I, I think, I'm such a realist in these ones. To some extent, winning the league against Manchester United on that day would go some way, go a long way to eclipsing any kind of disappointment that you would feel at going out of the Champions League at quarterfinal when a lot of people have made you favourites and are judging you on that. Do they have a good enough squad to go for both? To field a strong team on on Saturday evening? I mean, they should have. I was a bit surprised that Pep only made one yeah, substitution against Liverpool. Uh-huh. And that was what? Um, Sterling for yeah. Gundogan. You know, I was I was expecting him to really sort of in those at least final twenty minutes to be doing something more, and instead he kept kept something in reserve, or at least wanted to show some kind of faith in the players that were that were already out there. So, yeah, of course he's got the squad. They've thrown so much money at it. Do you know? I asked the question: if the score was nil nil from the first leg, or one one, or two two, then this would be a totally different conversation we're having just now. Mm. So, has he got a big enough squad to do it? Yeah, he has. As long as you're not three 0 down in the first leg, right? But surely, if it was nil nil, he'd be even more justified in resting players for the second leg. You could argue that, but I don't think so. I think well, the team are doing well. Uh-huh. We're probably going to win this next leg because it's at home. Okay, we score lots of goals. Fair enough. What about Liverpool Everton then? And the big question you raised there, Julian, about what's going on with Mo Salah. You'd imagine that Klopp certainly will take the opportunity to rest Mo Salah and whatever the outcome of the scan is, because. An Everton team that had 18% possession last time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not, as you know, the biggest fan of Sam Allardyce and what he's been doing at Everton this season anyway. So for me, it's it's a no-brainer, this game. And in Liverpool, even with resting some key players, because I think that's what Klopp is going to do as well, we're still favourite to, to beat Everton, especially at home. So, But Klopp has to rest people. Not take like Pat said, not taking any risk of injuries or someone getting a knock and but yeah, I don't think it's I don't think Klopp would see it again at the priority and the priority would be on Tuesday. I mean Klopp said last night that the only people happier or as happy as Liverpool fans at the result that they got against City are Evertonians because <laughs> Liverpool would be so drained by the experience. Maybe they'd be euphoric, I don't know. Um and it was an intense game. They've obviously probably going to lose Salah for that one so it's a good opportunity particularly would have been the Saturday lunchtime so quite reasonably quick turnaround um, in terms of that I know Klopp wasn't happy with the scheduling of it um, for, for, for that time so soon after Wednesday's, Wednesday's game um, but Everton what haven't won this fixture since 2010 
and generally speaking against the top Actually, six. Actually, I think it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Is it worse? 1999 at Anfield. Yeah. Oh, at Anfield. Derby yeah. at all yeah. in 2010. Oddly enough, I think that Everton should completely, and Liverpool should do exactly the same as Manchester City and play a, a shadow team. You're right, yeah. But for different reasons, i.e. just give Everton a break. <laughs> as an Evertonian right. we need a break <laughs> we really do need some sort of chance to get rid of this hoodoo uh, that, that Liverpool have had over them for such a long time does this does this fixture with its history pack carry obligations there is a limit to how much you can field a B team because of what the fans expect yeah the, the, the Everton fans it was a recent game we went to um, it was Sam had just come in and he put out a team that was the most defensive team I'd ever seen in a blue an Everton blue in the entire life. It was so awful, and it was at Anfield, and they got the draw. Mm. But it was the biggest beating you've ever seen for a draw in your entire life. And it was an I mean, even as a blue at heart, I mean, I had to absolutely own up to the fact it was an, an embarrassment to right. actually get a point. Out of in fact, we should have given that point back because it was so unfair. So the Everton fans, to some degree, from then on in, yes, Sam's got them safe. I'm not sure they've actually forgiven them for that day. Right. Even though they got a point. Listeners, starting up the Totally Football Show was a hairy business. Fortunately, Cornerstone have been with us every step of the way. Why? Because they're in the business of making hairy things smooth, like your face. Cornerstone's award-winning blades will give you the smoothest shave possible. And their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally to see the range for yourself, get £10 off your first order and have it delivered right to your door. And you'll find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. Let's talk a little bit about the other Champions League action that took place midweek. Well, we need to talk about Ronaldo, don't we? Oh, we do. We do. Two metres thirty. Is that what it was? From the ground where the ball was when he f- his foot hit it. Right. And so you his can... head over heels moment with the old lady has drawn a lot of comparisons with Rooney. Just just to be clear, I'm talking about the goal he scored in the derby, not, <laughs> not that other business. <laughs> uh, Pat, you were there. What was that like in the stadium? In the um, stadium. I, it's really weird because we, we cover a lot of games, we go to a lot of games, played a number of games in your career as well. Um, that's one of the moments that will stand in my life that when I stop doing this and have my last breath. I'll remember that game, I'll rem- remember that moment and I'll remember that reaction. Um, when the ball came in, um, for where we are, you're thinking, oh, he's not going to try and over... Oh, God, he is. Wow! And that is exactly the thought process. Is you cannot get the ball there. It's behind you. It's too mm. high. It's not acceptable. You even try that. And <laughs> to, it, to quote a comedy, commentary legend, oh, come on. Um, be serious. Really. <laughs> you, you cannot be serious. Any, any one of you, those you can use. And then the beautiful moment from the UV fans where... Just it was the most natural thing. Yeah. They booed did you break out into applause? Yes, we did. <laughs> this is what the Spanish TV did. John Lofty says, why is nobody comparing it with, with Manuel Negretti's goal in Mexico 86? The best bicycle kick of all, says Joe Lofty. No. You probably don't. Do you remember this? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, you remember it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's I like it because it's one of those side-on ones. It's kind of kung fu style. But, do you know, I'm not into this business of saying which is the greatest bicycle kick ever. I think uh, there's a lot of things... Quelly Adela's won that anyway. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but Andy Carroll, Andy <laughs> yeah. Carroll has an amazing That's true. bicycle kick, kick as well. Peter Crouch. The, he's the, yeah, Peter Crouch. Yep. Funny tweet, by the way. Sinclair's one. I don't think you remember that. Mm. Trevor Sinclair's one. Oh, yeah. How many Nevin overhead kicks have there been? Um, I know... I can remember three overhead okay. kick goals. And if you add up the height of them all, they don't come to 2.3 metres. All right. So when... <laughs> <laughs> that business of, of how much you're planning it, can you remember looking at the ball coming in or did it just happen and then you kind of realised what I happened? I would really love to say it was other than the truth, but the truth is I've got myself in a bad position. I'm just going to lump it towards the goal. Okay. And that was it, really. And it wasn't... That's why you look at what Ronaldo does and you just gasp, absolutely gasp. Because he wasn't lumping it. No, he wasn't, because he, he considered it, he computed it, and he computed something that a, su- a supercomputer would say, don't do that. You know, because it's it's behind you. You've it's well behind you, two point three meters. You know, you uh-huh. think no, that's gone beyond you, mate. Just leave it. Yeah. Somebody else going to get it. That's actually one really important point because there've been some amazing kicks, but the elevation. He's such an incredible leaper. Mm. The elevation he gets is mm. is. That's the one thing I I talked about in the commentary afterwards. Uh-huh. I just said, look, I, I, that's unnatural. You shouldn't think about it, and I want to see somebody measure this, and that's like ten seconds or twenty seconds after they go. I need that measure because that's so unnatural. I've never Julian, seen. There you go. Yeah, yeah. If I uh, can, Pat, be, another, sorry, just sh- on the go. No, I just want to ask Pat another question. Sorry. Julian. How much does it hurt when you do an overhead kick? Mm. When you come down, how much does it hurt? This is why Pat doesn't remember the other ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually not a joke. You're absolutely right. It's dangerous. They are actually quite dangerous. That's why the Brazilians, who claim to be the originators of it, used to practice it how to land afterwards. Uh-huh. Now th- that's all very well, but he's going at a different height again. So you have to compute the angle, the position, where you are, where the goals are, and by the way, where you're going to land. And you're sticking your body in a position where it's really unnatural as well. If you ran, land incorrectly there, you could break your back. You could break your neck. And it's not exaggeration. You can do all that sort of stuff. If you land on your back, it's fine. It's okay. I mean, the adrenaline in a football game, nothing really hurts you in that sort of those sort of landings. It doesn't have an effect at all. But it's a very dangerous thing to do on top of it. I mean, I have to say, totally and utterly stunned and, and want to, once again, I want to applaud the UV fans for their reaction because I, I can't remember many reactions to that. No, it was the game. one positive they could take from an otherwise absolutely disastrous evening for the old lady. Julien, sorry. No, two things. The first one is is something that players practice a lot. Mm-hmm. I think a train. You know, at the end of the session for fun, you've got crosses and you volley them and you ha- you try to do those kind of things. And Ronaldo after the game saying that's the goal he's been looking for all his career. Oh, really? Scoring one like this, and yeah. it happens in an, in an incredible game, but which is a very special moment. The only little thing that tarnished that goal for me is the huge mistake between Kelini and this goal should have never happened. It should have never happened. It happened and it's great for all of us. And well done to Juve fans and Ronaldo and all of that. But it's a goal that should have never happened. And that's where I'm a bit... It kind of happens because of Ronaldo, though. Pat and I were... No, 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 no. no. Pat and I were talking about this earlier. It happens because Chiellini does not trust Buffon to come and get the ball. Because because Ronaldo is behind him. And that that makes him second-guess himself. (laughs) And you can say, basically, Buffon should either come and kick the ball, or if if Chiellini is going to get it, he has to put it out for a corner kick. He absolutely has to put it out for a corner kick. I think the reason he doesn't, the reason he makes that decision is because Ronaldo's behind him. If there's anyone That's, else, he probably just does the yeah. right thing. Mm. But he's he, and you, I'm Julian. Actually, oddly enough, I'm agreeing with you completely. It's a mistake. It's wrong. You should never do it. 
But when you've got that guy there, and the way that he turned up for the game, mm. when my first thing I said, he's walked onto that pitch in the first seconds as if he owns that place. And, it, it, you know, the chest was out, he's got the cocky kind of walk. His first two things were flicks and tricks. And you think, you, above everybody else on that pitch there, just look as if you're, like, playing with kids. And he's just, he, he can do that. And he spooks the living daylights out of everyone. And then two minutes into the game, he scored a goal. Yeah. And by that point in time, they're, they're scared to death. And Chiellini, I think we all probably know now, the legs have kind of just about gone anyway. So he's not got any great pace there. So he's scared to death when he sees Ronaldo behind him. But yes, Julian, it was a mistake. <laughs> but isn't that Do remarkable, it. Pat? We talked about Chiellini, his legs going, uh -huh. losing a bit of pace. Although, fantastic performance at Wembley. Let's not forget that. And he's having a good season on the whole. Ronaldo's the same age as him. And the athlete that Ronaldo is... Well, this is, is such an interesting topic. His evolution and, and the fact that a lot of people thought, well, by now, even a couple of years ago, by now, he's on a downward trajectory. And instead, I think... Is it fair to say this is his best season ever? The numbers are certainly just yeah. With last off year the charts. Well. I think he's down to Zidane's rotation that has been quite clever. Um, Ronaldo didn't play last weekend was not even on the bench. The change of position as is, well? Yeah, the change of position, which is something before Ronaldo would have never sit out a game, ever. Mm. He wanted to play every single game, every single minute of every single game because that was more minutes to score goals and that was he was obsessed. I think he realised much late, like in the last three years since he went over 30 that you could play less minutes and still score as many goals because, you know, your fitness would be much better. Can and you think of another player who has evolved adapted in this way and, and and almost got better by doing so has matured so that past 30 is actually producing better numbers than ever I love when you ask the question you know the answer as well no I don't I genuinely <laughs> no, don't there, there is, there's an obvious answer there's an incredible answer but the simple thing is I had a look at all the stats just before this uh -huh. group of games right and Ronaldo one of the reasons why he's having a fantastic season is because he's doing less running than he's ever done in his entire career right so per minute of a game on the ground he's doing the second least amount of running of any player than that level in the Champions League. So, if it was anyone else, you say, you lazy git. <laughs> and you say, what are you doing? But because it's, no, it's intelligent, it's keeping themselves fresh and strong, and there's only one player that is running less than him in the Champions League just now. And who's that? You're going to guess. <laughs> Messi. Correct. Ah. Messi. <laughs> and by a distance, it's Messi. Really? By a massive distance, it's Messi. I mean, Ronaldo's just about up up in the level he should be doing but but off it so he's he's certainly running less than he was before uh -huh. Messi's well below I was going to go with Totti ah okay because Totti went from being someone who played as a 10 played out wide on the left mm. to being at the age of 30 such a regular goal scorer that he goes from being nowhere yep. in the all time top scoring charts in Italy to being number 2 right also, Ibra no Jules Ibra yeah, I was gonna, Ibra, even Ryan Giggs in many ways oh, in yeah. a different style of obviously the other players were mentioned, but after 30, the longevity was incredible. Yeah, but, but, but Ronaldo, I mean, to score, I think it, that was his 10th consecutive game to score in the Champions League, which no one has never done yeah, before. It was certainly was. The, the great stat is the one where if he was a club, where he would be on the all time <laughs> Champions League goals. And it, yeah. I, I'm sure I heard them say 10th, <laughs> he would be the 10th highest scoring club in the Champions League. But afterwards, I, I saw it as being 18th or something, which is still amazing. But Well, he scored 22 goals in Champions League quarterfinals, yep. and Juventus have scored 21 in the right. Champions League era. That's um, crazy. Also, I mean, just to talk about his longevity, most Champions League goals in the last three seasons, unsurprisingly, Ronaldo is top with 42. Next is Messi, but with 23. Now that's a big, 
That's a big that's drop. Champions League goals in what? In the knockout In the last season. three seasons. In the last three seasons. So overall, overall competition. But yeah, I mean, again, um, yeah, talk about him, what he's been doing in knockout Champions League games. He was the first player to get to 50 goals in, in knockout Champions League games, which is, again, extraordinary. But that, that's why the after Ronaldo is a nightmare for Real Madrid to sort out because... You know, you might think after last year, last season, he said, okay, nah, he's going to get 33 in February. Surely he can't do that again. He turns 33 in February. He does, he does probably even better than last season. And you, you know that at some point as a club, you need to prepare for the after Ronaldo era. And you think maybe Neymar is the, the perfect replacement. But like, you can't make Neymar wait until Ronaldo fades or starts fading or his contract runs out. Cause that's not, so, you know, what do you do? You wait again mm. and say, okay, let's see next season. And if next season he does as well as this year, what do you do again? He said, oh, okay, let's wait again. It's, it must be a nightmare to, to, to think about. I was just going to say, it's, it's almost like time doesn't affect him. And you know the, the, the portrait of Dorian Gray? He's got a really ugly statue. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're onto something. You're onto something there. That's brilliant. You're onto something. Yeah, OK. Sorry, Pat. Oddly, two things. Um, it is a big mistake everybody makes. Oh, you're going to have to replace that person. You start looking around for somebody who's like them. It's not the way it works, and it never really has worked that way. You have to find a different answer, a different solution to that question. So, you know, if you lose a brilliant player, and then suddenly the next season, how come you did nearly as well? Well, it's because other players came into the fore, came to the fore, got more of the ball, adapted it. You played a different style. It wasn't all in towards that player. So you take all those things in. But I think football's got a problem. That you know, three, four years time, maybe five at the most, but certainly around about that time, we will no longer have Messi and we will no longer have Ronaldo. And how does football recover from that? Because they are so far ahead and they'll be so much better than anything we've seen for so many years. Do you think years. Neymar, Mbappe, any of those players they're can come players, to players, but they're not as good as them guys. No. No, but, but those guys weren't as good as the, these guys. As those guys it'll be a case of back to life, back to reality. Yeah. Oh, okay. The one name that we forget, and we do forget it in the midst of all this, Real Madrid bought the replacement for Ronaldo a while back. It was supposed to be Bale. And he didn't get a single minute yeah. against Juventus. It didn't even come on. It was supposed to be Bale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, but the other Real Madrid player really shone, would you say Isco? Oh. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. But that's where Zidane was good because Zidane had blanked him for so long to the point that Isco said after the, that Spain game, saying mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what, what's wrong, you know, what Zidane finds wrong in me because I can play for Spain, but then I don't get a minute for Real Madrid. And then Zidane which, again, I think is proving more and more now that he belongs to that top level of managers, albeit in, a, in an amazing squad, but still the choices he's made. And, and to pick Isco and go back to that sort of free role for him and the three midfield behind him and Ronaldo and Benzema up front, I think, was, was just perfect for that game. Enough, he got a wee bit of help because I thought Allegri had a stinker. Right, well, there I was bigging up Allegri before the match. Would you agree with Pat's stinker description? Well, we talked about Pep and his lineup uh, for the Liverpool game. This one, again, 4-4-2, plays two left-backs on one side. Um, yeah, Douglas Costa on the right. You talk about that first goal, basically Douglas Costa and what Dichilio attracted to Marcelo. This goal drifts across. That was the most disappointing thing from Juventus' point of view, I think, was the fact that a team that prides itself on attention to detail, concentration, their strength is their defending, rookie mistakes really mm. for the first and second goal, and then an immature performance from the player that they were looking to, to be the star, because yeah, it was this time last year that Dybala had his breakout game 
on the world stage when he scored twice in the quarterfinals, first leg against Barcelona, and yeah, let his team down really with what 20, 25 minutes to go when it was 2 0. You know, if it stays 2 0, still going to be up against it when you go to the Bernabeu next week, but more of a chance than 3 0. Mm. And boom. Yeah. Well, do you have any chance? <laughs> Let's move on. What about Sevilla? 2-1 down at home to Bayern. But you talked about their second half performance in the one game against Liverpool. Their performance at Old Trafford after the yeah. goalless draw at the sanchez Pich one. Do, do you see that? Is that, that tie looks the closest. Julian, what do you yeah. think? Sevilla-Bayern? Yeah. yeah, maybe. I mean... That game bored me, I have to say. Really? I was I, I was so disappointed. Maybe because the other games have been so special. Maybe, but it still bored me when I thought it would be a bit more interesting, a bit more and no. So I don't know. I think I think this Bayern team is very good at controlling games. And even when they went behind they didn't panic, they still controlled the game. They got mm. a bit lucky on the two goals, but that's what and they in get. The draw. Sorry, and in the draw, yeah, and in the draw. Sevilla. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. I think I think they see it through without really any any problem. But against the Sevilla team that concedes a lot, this is a Bayern side. What was the last score at home? I think it was six six, six nil against Borussia Dortmund. Oh, yeah. yeah. They just never particularly spooked, do they? They look no. really comfortable. They go behind and. I mean, we can't go through this conversation without using the words efficient. So I wouldn't even use a sentence around it. I would just say efficiency, which they've got. Um, and also, nothing upsets them. You know they're going to be there. They're, they're, not, they're not going okay. to go this one. All right. And Barcelona beat Roma 4-1. And, you know, we should move on. But that was such a bit of disappointment because Roma, they could have... Do you know, I thought Barcelona will hammer Roma, but that's not how it went. No, I it watched this. It was a 4-1 game. What was the final score? What was the final score? Wait, Julian. <laughs> I watched this. I watched this with two two Roman friends of mine. Uh-huh. And the, after the game, they were like, this was so quintessentially Roma, you could not ever believe it in the, in the sense that, yeah, a game that they probably deserve to draw or come away with something, they end up getting beaten 4-1. <laughs> yeah. Three own goals. Neymar's replacement, by the way, yeah, Messi's their top scorer in the Champions League with six. And then there's that guy they signed, own goal, with five. <laughs> <laughs> now you see, you feel what PSG fans felt last season with, with all the referee decisions. I mean, not so much, the, the score is not the same and the context is not the same. But if I was a Roman fan, I would be livid after the game last night. Yeah. Pat, your highlight of the week came in Turin, but it wasn't necessarily... Cristiano Ronaldo's goal was it? Did you make another visit to your favourite museum in the world? Gosh, you, how did you find this out? <laughs> what, no, because you because we, we were in Dublin with you, Pat. Oh, right, and you talked to little else. I oddly I did. I went back and I took a, a friend of mine, Conor McNamara. Okay. Around and uh, classically, I thought. So this is the Museo dell'Antichità Egizia. Egizia, yeah. And it was about. Uh, I'm impressed with the pronunciation. I'm not going to try it. The Egyptian museum, and uh, it was about. It was only about 100 yards from the place we were staying. It was a beautiful place right in the centre of Turin. And it has to be said, he was bowled over. He said to me beforehand, "I've only got an hour, Pat." <laughs> Two hours later, he's going, "No, no, this is great. This is brilliant." This so is- basically, this is what three floors of the most comprehensive yeah. collection outside of Egypt. Of Egyptian art and culture, you know, yeah. back in the day. And it's one of these things where people will be yawning slightly and going, yeah, another sarcophagus. Um, and I get that, I understand that, but it's not like that at all. Mm. It is absolutely stunning. And you, there are a couple of things right on the ground floor, because each floor gets better. You start at the top and you move down, but there's a number of things on the ground floor. You just stand there and your chin's on the floor and you think, 
Nah, you made that up. There's no way that they could have produced something that's like stunning. What? Well, it's kind of sphinx-like, beautifully done um, sculptures, but done as if it was done, you know, in the most modern way with the most perfectly cut fine-tuning tools and they weigh about three tonnes each and, you th- and they look as if they were made yesterday afternoon, just about tea time and <laughs> they're thousands of years old and you look and you go, is that a copy? And it's not. And then you look at, the more you look at the intricacies of it and then this, this is like two and a half, three thousand years old and, and some of the stuff goes down five, five and a half thousand I mean, I don't know what we were doing over in Britain at that time, but I, I think <laughs> <laughs> roughly that time. But I think we were yeah. scratching ourselves with kind of loincloths at that time. But mm. wow, what 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 thing to see? So if you're in, hey, by all means, go go see Juventus and go see the stadium. But make sure you go we, see who have that a lot of other old splendid relics that still. <laughs> <laughs> Out. Right. Anyway, all right. Well, well, we'll move on then. More as we turn our thoughts to the weekend's action after this. Listeners, you know there's more to football than stunning bicycle kicks, local derbies and a new manager bounce. Yes, football's fundamentally a simple game, but you can't truly understand football without understanding the modern world, and you can't understand the modern world without understanding its most popular sport. Game of Our Lives is a new podcast series hosted by the football historian David Goldblatt. It tackles themes like human nature, globalisation and geopolitics through the prism of the beautiful game. And if you, like us here at the Totally Football Show, have been hooked by what you've heard so far, then you'll definitely want to catch the latest episode, which is all about Colombia, Calcio and cartels. The guest is the novelist Juan Gabriel Vasquez, who describes to David how Colombian football parallels the story of the country's political and social changes since the 1990s. I grew up knowing that Atletico Nacional in Medellín belonged to drug dealers in the Medellín cartel. This was just the way it was. But in the late 80s, people began dying. And then the worst moment for my generation, the moment that really became a metaphor of everything that was wrong with the situation in society and football, was the murder of Andrés Escobar in 1994. If you want to learn more about why football matters, make sure you listen to Game of Our Lives on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. The Game of Our Lives podcast with David Goldblatt. Subscribe now. On Galazzo this week, we discuss Gabriel Batistuta, cruelly omitted from BT Sports, controversial team of the 90s. We put that right, saluting the genius of Batty Goal. James, midweek round of games. The big fixture was the Milan derby. How'd it finish? Nil-nil. Yep. <laughs> Two no. goals devoured, as the Italians would say, by Mauro Icardi. Yeah, the most clinical finisher in Italy, really. He only needs half a chance yeah. to score. To just be clear, in Italian, when you devour a goal, it means you, if you eat a goal, you basically blow the opportunity. Mm. A mangiato un gol. A mangiato yeah. un gol. Yeah. Sorry, but, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, How do you yeah. say that in wait, wait, French? Was it a bad, bad one? French. Bad misses, by the way. Were they really bad misses? I didn't see these misses. The producer, producer Ben just wants to point out that it's uh, not the first time that uh, Icardi's had an evening with bad misses. Oh. Because, right? you know, the wonder. And by the way, in French, we say that you eat the uh, the team sheet, not the you goal. You eat the team yeah. sheet if you miss a goal? Yeah. So, tu manges la feuille de match. Wow. Can, why? <laughs> I guess... Missing the goal would mean that you're not winning the game, uh-huh. and you're off the yeah, team. For the ma- yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or, okay. Yeah. What do they say in Scotland, Pat? 
Um, no, no, it's totally <laughs> unrepeatable. Okay, on the Totally Football Quiz this Friday, it returns after its little break at the slightly later time of one o'clock. I hope that fits in with your uh, perennial schedule. Uh, Facebook.com slash the Totally Football Show. You give us your data. We give you some prizes, which include this week a 2011-12 FC St. Pauli home shirt from classicfootballshirt.co.uk. How about that? A couple of questions. Oh, now Murphy, one for Pat. What's happening with Masonda at Celtic? He was announced with a great fanfare a few months down the line. He's fallen right down the pecking order. He's nowhere near the first 11. One for next season? Uh, only maybe. Only maybe. Really? I mean, I keep on explaining that to everyone. Chelsea produce all these brilliant young players, but they are brilliant young players. Mm. They are not brilliant football players. Uh, the jump between youth development and being a professional footballer is the biggest jump you will ever make. So you don't know until you try them. And there's been plenty. Now, Masonda's just the latest. Now, he's got a chance. But the expectation for it to happen right away at a high level such as Celtic, no, you cannot take that for granted, no. OK. One for next season, then. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Pat, we were talking on Monday about football's biggest bastards. <laughs> now you, But you played with, you played with uh, some classics of the genre. Mm-hmm. Dinny Jones, Dennis Wise? Well, I played against them. I remember playing against them when the Wimbledon days. The, the thing playing against that lot... Was that it was unexpected, and they've oddly enough not unlike the way Liverpool play just now. That's going to surprise you quite a mm-hmm. lot, and um, because we did, they just basically chased you. They ran at you all the time when you had the ball wherever, wherever you were. So it was like Gagan Press thirty years ago, um, but there was a tiny wee pitch they played on, but they just did everything to stop you, and it was a shock because nobody was playing that extreme a version of it. So, right. but you know, really, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call them the B word. No. Just what about Dennis Wise? Um, and again, it's David the, Speedy. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're getting there. You're getting towards <laughs> it. With all of those had personality traits that I wasn't mad keen on, but right. I, I understand why, why the way that they were the way they were. Okay, and it was quite an effective way to be. Yeah, and in the end, I know plenty of people in, in the game who are absolutely horrible, but put this wonderful, lovely front up. You know, and you know, in the media, and you think you love them. And oh, really? Fact, what do you mean, oh, really? No, but is it like the media's not like that too? <laughs> so, so, so there are some people that are, you know, I mean, come across nicely in the media, but in actual yeah. fact, a nightmare. I mean, yes. some people are so arrogant. That's yeah, true. Terribly yeah. so. Yeah. They wouldn't even speak to like other journalists or stuff. No, like that. exactly. Yeah. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> but you know, so, the, yeah. I don't know who the the worst ones are. Basically. I actually can put up with people like that. I don't you necessarily can. like them, mm-hmm. but I can put up with people like that. In my team, I could not put up with somebody who wasn't put 100% in. Right. So I'd get angrier with them than somebody who was a horrible get. So if I'm watching a game of football... Just yeah, now, but I think it was more in footballing terms about being a... a yeah. I mean, a, a coster, something like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, but you kind of had bad admiration for them too. Graham Sooners yeah. was a horrible man to play against. But wow, you know, what a player! What yeah. a fantastic player! You didn't like playing against him, and you didn't like it the fact that you know if you get a chance to hurt you, you probably would try and hurt you. And, and there weren't that many were doing that, as I probably told you before. Most of the ones that were doing that were left backs, and I spent a lot of time getting thumped him. Yeah. And they were the I wouldn't call them B. I would call them nutters. Okay, that's the ones you would worry about. Mm. The nutters. Let's move on then. Uh, oh, Phil Hughes. This takes us on nicely to the whole relegation battle, which is the only thing arguably still of interest in this Premier League season. Phil Hughes says, what's the pod's verdict on who to employ in the event of a relegation battle? The tried and tested tactic of employing an English fossil seems to have worked 
for West Ham. He's not actually English. And, and Everton, but fail for Southampton, West Brom, and Stoke. Has there? Do you think that what has happened with some of those managers, Jules, is this, is this going to freshen up the ideas of some people when they're making appointments in future? I hope so. I really hope so. I think Everton and West Ham. You can't compare them with West Brom, for example. And West Brom going for Alan Pardew again. You know my uh, very little appreciation for Alan Pardew and what he's done before. I don't think that was the right call. I don't think Alan Pardew is a good enough manager to be in the Premier League anyway, whatever the club, whatever the context, whatever the <clears throat> the position in the table when he takes over. So I think that was wrong from the beginning. What was certainly wrong is to keep him that long. Um, and and that that backfired. And I'm not sure that Paul Lambert at Stoke is a much better appointment. I was I was doing here, I was here on the pod when he was appointed. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not convinced. I'm sorry by those kind of... I know Paul Lambert is not English, but... That's all, I'm Stoke not... currently three points from safety. Saints, two points from safety. West Brom, ten points from I mean, safety. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, just to finish on that. Oh, sure, yeah. Mark Hughes had 20 points in 22 games for Stoke. Wow. But yeah, Southampton still thought he's the right man to save them. Fair enough to them if they think and if he does it. Mm. But don't tell me that a record of 20, 20 points out of 66 in the Premier League this season guarantees you another job in the Premier League in this kind of context. I, I, find, I find that a bit how to understand how this one worked out. I don't you know, Jules, I've got no explanation. No, 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 but I'm right. Maybe Pat can help, but... No, I, can, I, I don't no, know. You, well, you need to put yourself... All, all, in these situations, you put yourself in the guy who's making the decision. So the guy who's making the decision, chief exec or whatever, right? So he has to make a change because it's not working. Okay, what are you going to do? You've got a number of options. You look within your organisation, but that's probably not going to work unless there's a really popular guy in there. And that's kind of potluck. The other one is you're not going to get any new guy who's just new on the scene because, you know, that is a complete toss of the coin. So you're left with, I need to go with a tried and tre- tested guy. So you look around who are the firefighters out there. Well, they've both been taken, right? Definitely Moisey would be one, but 100% Sam's one. So that's your firefighters. They're almost gone. The other one, if I was tempted in that situation, I'd be looking at and the beautifully big names, you know, that are just not you're managing at the moment I mean look at what the Newcastle went and got Rafa uh-huh. and you know and I thought well that, you know what if you go down and he loves it and he stays you could actually change something and move something better who, who else in that category Sven obviously but Ancelotti was Ancelotti. you know yeah, so not Sven, not Sven <laughs> for me Carlo at West Brom <laughs> you know but hey <laughs> I'd love to do it if you, but it's not going to happen it's not a realism that's going to happen but I, the, it's a good question because there's not a simple answer to that okay. one and it's to the Mark Hughes one, I was at the game West Ham against mm-hmm. Southampton. Yeah. And watching Mark Hughes making that mistake, which he did tactically, of putting two centre forwards up front, both of them can't run against Premier League defenders. And you're thinking, right, well, that's a mistake you won't make again, mate. But that's the danger you've got of bringing in somebody who doesn't know the squad. Yeah. And that that's the problem you've got all got. Well, but Saints this weekend. For, I hope it works for Southampton, not just for Paula, I mean, uh. the manager who's a big fan, but... You don't want clubs to get it wrong. I'm just, yeah, I was just struggling to work it out. Yeah, okay. Shouldn't have so, sacked Puel. Uh, Southampton will be going this Sunday at it again against Arsenal, who of course have a Thursday night action at home to CSK Moscow in the Europa League. West Brom, and speaking to a West Brom fan who was m- mystified, and I know there's been a lot of revelations about how the team had fallen out of love with Alan Pardew. Uh, Were but, they ever in love? Well, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of stories coming out about how things were, but they were making the point that Darren Moore, it's just really 
throwing him to the walls almost, bringing him into this because he's taking over till the end of the season. There couldn't be a worse situation uh, for him to make his debut in, or is it is it actually not a bad? Uh, I think people look at it and think they're already gone and they're not going to judge him. Terry Connor, the the, the example that the, the Baggies fans make him, his um, poignant little period at, at Wolves. Everton done the same as well. Remember yeah. before Sam came in? Mm. You know, you got a young ex-coach who's, you know, teams do that for a little while. It's, just, it's a throw of the dice. Yeah. All right, well, so um, his question about the bottom three then. Are Huddersfield riding to their rescue? Huddersfield with a big game Saturday afternoon away at Brighton. They picked up one point from the last 12 available. They haven't scored in five of their last six games. They've actually only been in the bottom three for one week this season, but are they going to finish the season in there? Well, look, Brighton and Huddersfield are the teams that have played out the most nil-nils this oh, really? season. Four nil-nils apiece. Um, so it wouldn't be all that surprising if this was a low-scoring, tense affair. Um, Brighton themselves obviously have a, a much bigger cushion um, than, than Huddersfield do. But remember, they have Palace at Selhurst Park, which is a huge rivalry for them. And then they've got the worst run-in of any team in the league. So they absolutely need to win this game. So that that will be another factor in this for, for Huddersfield, um, who I don't think of... I don't think they've kept a clean sheet away from home since September. Um, since since right at the start of the season. So, yeah, I think they could get sucked in. Um, and to be honest, Wagner's done an amazing job just to keep them, as you mentioned, out of the bottom three aside from that one week because that squad really is a championship squad that you know, came through the playoffs last year. Yeah, they added some foreign signings to it um, and they started the season well, but really that he's had, he's they're punching well above their weight just to be in the Premier League, let alone be 16th in the Premier League. Mm. All right. Stoke taking on Spurs. Bit of a tough match there at the Bet365. Why, no? Because Spurs have won each five, of the... Yeah, five in a row or something like that. And each of their last couple of games against um, uh, Stoke, have they not been like by four goal margins or something like that? Yeah. Oh, is it that 4-0, 4-0, 4-0, 4-0 yeah. thing? Pretty sure, yeah. Even Hurricane is back, so... Yeah. yeah, OK. So he's probably going to be back. Bournemouth taking on Palace. Palace, despite playing well consistently, keep getting these last-minute heartbreaking goals. Four of their last five games have ended in defeat. They are currently just two points above the drop. You know what's sad is is Christian Benteke. I mean, I don't know whether you like him or not, but going through the sort of drought he's going through, I think he had 22 chances, as in chances as in like that you expect a striker of that calibre or uh-huh. a Premier League striker, good striker to score. When? And in the, in in the, the season? season so okay. far. And he scored two out of those 22 chances. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying shots on target or it's not a pure expected goals ratio, but it's still chances that you expect him you know, to do well in. Two out of 22. And I don't know, Pat, how you solve a problem where clearly the guy's confidence you know, is gone. And against Liverpool last weekend, he missed two huge ones who would have won the game for his team, really. And I don't know, you can work as hard as you can on train, at training. That never replaces the, you know, the, the game situation where you love that, where the ball comes down to you and you need to score. And I, I, I've, I, you know, I don't know the guy. I'm not a Crystal Palace fan or Roy Hodgson fan, but I feel for him a bit going through that sort of bad, bad, bad. You feel for him, but um, if you're a football and you let that club and you're in the youth team or the under-23s or whatever, they've got centre-forwards there. And if Serford had that many chances of that quality that he's had just now, he'd have scored more. And I don't care 
you should be getting a game. If you're one of the kids and he's not doing it. So would, you, would there be a certain amount of frustration with the rest of the team then? Yeah, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be getting angry now that the manager's just saying, well, just because you're, you're, you're tall and you're kind of, you, you can lump the ball up in the air, you're on the pitch because you're not scoring any goals and you're losing loads of chances. You, you've got to get out. You've got to get out and you've got to get somebody in who's going to be a willing runner who, when a ball falls to him, you know, it might be a kid who's playing the team in, in the youth team who's only five foot seven or something like that. But I tell you what, that ball drops to him and he's more likely to score just now. So play him. Give just the play him. people a chance this time. Well, just give the kid. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's just, it's purely that one of because he's a big, lumpy lad who cost a few quid in the past. Look, he's miles off the standard you'd expect for, for this at the moment. Mm. So he shouldn't be playing. Right. Get anyone else in. Big decision for Roy Hodgson then as they travel down to the Vitality Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Other matches this weekend include Leicester's clash with Newcastle, Watford up against high-flying Burnley. We've been talking about Burnley potentially catching up with Arsenal in a sixth place. Could, could Arsenal actually catch Chelsea... In fifth, there's how many points between them? Is it five, five, five points? Mm. Chelsea are taking on West Ham this Sunday, which not long ago you would have thought was an easy Chelsea win, but I'm not sure at this point. They've lost three of their last five in the league. Motivationally speaking, they don't seem to have quite the same fire in their bellies as, as West Ham showed against Southampton. But Jules, are they going to prove the yeah, doubters wrong one. this weekend? Yes, yeah, it's a tough one. I still, you still expect them to win uh, at home, Chelsea, but you can't. Stop thinking there might be something broken between that manager and the dressing think? room, and yeah. that it's been going on for, you know, for a few weeks now, and and that there's some the turnaround at Chelsea since the West Ham game. What before Christmas when Arnautovic scored the only goal of the game? Chelsea were third then. They had three points on Liverpool, seven points on Spurs. Since then, Spurs have taken 15 more points than than them, and Liverpool have taken 13. Wow. So the swing, I mean, that's a massive swing. I mean, the last recent games have been tough ones. They've had United, sure. they've had City, they've had Liverpool, you know, and that's fine. But that's all excuses. In, in simple terms, they now know as of last week they're not going to be in Champions League next season. You know, so they, they absolutely know that's the case. So how did their players and how did their inverted commas big name players react to that? Um, and that's, I think you'll find that out against West Ham because, again, at West Ham, West Ham were magnificent last week. You were absolutely brilliant on Saturday. Moise got a brilliant performance off of him. I, was, I actually met, him up, met up with him after the game and he was basically saying that's, that's their best yet. And they'd beaten, remember, they did beat Chelsea yeah. earlier Ooh. in the season, mm. but that was their best yet. Um, and it's the lad that left back, Masuaku. Masuaku. Yeah. Masuaku. By the way, I'll have him. I'll take him. We said it before the He'll game, but yeah, he's I would take <laughs> <laughs> He's I'd, you. I'd, a, I'd a line I almost said it was uh, we were at a game the other night um, in Turin and uh, what pressed me was you know an old friend of, of someone I know a little bit Jamie Carragher and I happened to be on air and, oh. I, and I, I said well that's and, and I almost said and anyway I did manage to say he's within striking distance as opposed to saying anything else that I could possibly have said at that moment in time. <laughs> oh, it's Jamie. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, it's nice to see him back. And all. Anyway, Masuaka's back after his spitting incident. But um, if he's not playing with a top six club next season, I'll be amazed. Like, okay. it's, it's absolutely magnificent play. Is that the game of the... Is that the fixture of the weekend of the Premier League? The derby of the weekend. The maybe. derby of the weekend? <laughs> no. No, come on. No. No, I think United City is still very much. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, th- I right. think you also uh, you, you look down at the bottom of the league as well. I do think that's big. I, I think now that your opening line there was, you know, the bottom of the league's now more interested in the top. And that is 100% now. I've, the one team I don't, th- I don't know if you mentioned in passing, Swansea, watching them, they had great run they've had and everyone's been applauding them. Then you'll look at where they are. Oh, you're right. We, we didn't really because they're, t- they're taking on West Brom. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, if they can get a win in that game, they'll probably be safe. If they actually blow it in that game... I think Swans would get big troubles because they have went on a fabulous run and they ain't out of it. And that that can be a really hard one to take for a team like that. So they are three, three points three, clear yeah. of the drop at the moment. But, you know, new manager the, bounce. Yeah. I mean, they, they haven't lost back-to-back games under Cavalhal. The last time they did was, well, there was the last two games that Paul Clement served as a Swansea he's, manager. He seems to be another manager who's choosing his opportunities in, in which to commit resources and against West Brom, you'd probably think falls under that category as an opportunity. Anyway, those are our thoughts on the football. But now, and this is especially for you, Frederick Ockvist, let's get the odds on all of that from Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you, James. I'm with Lee Price and you're continuing your uh, worldwide odyssey. You're in Zimbabwe. Why are you in Zimbabwe, Lee? I am. We're here because we're doing a tournament this summer called Kenifa and Zimbabwe has a region called Matabela Land, which is taking place. Uh, and my boss obviously doesn't like me because he sent me all around the world to get me out of the office. Oh, well, we'll be hearing more about Conifer uh, soon enough, I should think. Uh, well, let's <laughs> let's talk about the odds. It's, uh, it's an exciting weekend in the Premier League. Uh, Man City can, of course, tie things up. Uh, and if they don't do it this weekend, they're bound to do it the next one. But it's against United. You'd imagine United would uh, want anything but... Uh, to lose and give the title to City. Uh, what price on them winning at the Etihad? Yeah, this is huge for Jose Mourinho. You know that if he won this match, or his team won this match, he would milk it for all it's worth. Um, but it's hard to see it. You know, the Etihad should be full for a change. City have been far the better team this year, and the title obviously awaits. But with Pep openly prioritising Liverpool games, uh, and Tuesday's game obviously having an impact on the squad, United at 4-1 to one are a very juicy price to capitalise. Uh, but I suspect they'll be squashed. And Liverpool also have uh, a local derby ahead of the return leg with Man City in the Champions League. Um, can Everton get the better of them this time? They've got a shocking record in the derby. <laughs> it's a similar scenario, isn't it? Um, another feisty derby, arguably overshadowed by the Champions League. But Big Sam won't care about that. He needs all the credit he can get. And he'll know that this is a giant opportunity to bank it. Uh, they're also 4-1 to to win Everton this weekend. Um, and if they don't, Big Sam will probably be on his way. So, Lee, last and very much least, uh, West Brom. You've already paid out on them getting relegated, but a new manager bounce and all that. They're playing Swansea. Any luck here? Am I mad? <laughs> You'd have to be feeling crazy. They're the tragedy that keep on running, don't they? Um, and their recent pluckiness only makes it worse, I think. They've become increasingly close to getting a win in their last few fixtures. Uh, and this Swansea match probably represents their last chance to regain a tiny bit of pride. Uh, we make them 11-8 to to win, but... Surely Swansea, who could actually stay up this season, are better value at 15 to 8. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And for goodness sake, when the fun stops, stop. Pat, you're back with us next Thursday? I am, yeah. I'm looking forward right. to it. Yeah, there lots of more right. happening between now and then, yeah. Like Depeche Mode, you just can't get enough. <laughs> You're not <laughs> going to let that lie. That's, this oh, is that's my, one of the... So- yeah, right. Yeah, this, is, this is my... Julian gets 
you know, PSG yeah. versus Barca. Get I'm getting the push mode. Are <laughs> you getting James? Yeah. Oh, I've had enough tired very, very quickly, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, now, uh, on Monday, Raphael Honigstein, Michael Cox, and David Priest will be joining us. So hopefully you will be too, listeners. And if you're hungry for oral content in the meantime, producer Ben. Uh, would like to point out that it's WrestleMania on Sunday night, and you can get a proper preview to that with Matt Davis, Carrie Dunn, and others by listening to the excellent Parts Unknown podcast. Search it out, subscribe, you'll make Ben a happy producer. Uh, that's it for us. Julianne, many thanks to you. Thank you very much. Pat, a delight as ever. James, happy trails. Catch up with you soon. And from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Totally Football Show.